Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today we're going to talk about something a little bit different. Pop culture, yes. Video games, no. We're going to be talking about one of the most popular movies on the screen right now. That is, of course, Top Gun Maverick, the sequel to the 1986 movie Top Gun that, at least in video game land, had me crashing planes instead of landing on aircraft carriers throughout my youth. Before we get into the controversy over whether or not Paramount actually holds the copyright to make Top Gun Maverick, however, I do want to let you know that, of course, this is a channel supported by viewers and listeners like you. You can support us on Utreon. You can support us on Patreon. You can support us with a YouTube membership any way you like. And one of those tiers on Utreon and Patreon is the ability to get special recognition in one of these episodes to help sponsor an episode in this space. And today's sponsorship is done by Nord, to which I want to offer very, very special thanks. Nord has been supporting the channel for a very long time, and I couldn't do it without viewers and supporters like him. So thank you very much, Nord. Now, as I said, Top Gun Maverick is a massive, massive success as the deadline headline here puts it. Top Gun Maverick soars to $557 million global take through Sunday. We know that Jurassic World is coming up to eat some of its box office lunch, but as of right now, Top Gun Maverick is a very popular movie, gets an A-plus cinema score, is loved by critics and fans alike, maybe the former category, not so much. But as of yesterday, Paramount's in at least a little bit of potential trouble. Because in the United States District Court of the Central District of California, Shosh Yone and Yuval Yone sued Paramount Pictures Corporation. And what did they sue the multinational media company for? Well, as you can see on the side here, copyright infringement and injunctive relief. Now, to understand what's going on there a little bit more, we have to dive into the details and into an area of copyright law that maybe isn't broadcast very often to a lot of folks, but which is going to come up more and more often now as the properties that were otherwise licensed to places like movie studios or video game companies or lunchbox companies in the early to mid-1980s start to come under a very special bit of the United States Copyright Act. So let's read about it a little bit. First, plaintiffs Shosh Yone and Yuval Yone are the heirs of writer Ehud Yone for their complaint against defendant Paramount Pictures Corporation. So these are this particular author's kids. Ehud Yone is the author of the original 1983 story entitled Top Guns, from which the 1986 motion picture Top Gun and the recently released 2022 sequel motion picture Top Gun Maverick are derived. The iconic 1986 film all started with Paramount securing exclusive motion picture rights to Ehud Yone's copyrighted story immediately after its publication. In fact, the author's story was duly credited on the derivative 1986 film, which is widely known to have been based on the story. Now, a few things first off. One, the use of the word derivative there is not intended to slight Top Gun as a motion picture, although, of course, it is just fighter pilots fighting around in various ways and going to school, much like Hogwarts, just with fighter planes and missiles. But that doesn't make it derivative for purposes of the law. What makes it derivative is that it was based on something else. Although even there, questions are immediately raised. Because if you go to the Top Gun motion picture from 1986, this is the caption you get in the closing credits of the movie. It is suggested 
by Ehud Yone's article, Top Guns in California Magazine. It doesn't have based on, it doesn't have that kind of description. And that makes sense because the article in question was actually a, a documentary type piece over the real airbase. It wasn't fiction. It wasn't something that Paramount could otherwise write its story off of, but it could be derivative of that original story. And in fact, as described in this particular lawsuit, it seems that Paramount thought that it was. Now, we also have to take a step back there because we're going to be talking about whether or not Paramount's infringing on a copyright that it no longer holds. We're going to talk about timing. We're going to be talking about various other things. But I think it's worthwhile to note that lawyers are risk averse, right? You probably didn't need to be told this if you're watching a lawyer on YouTube or otherwise have been following other lawyers in other media. Lawyers like to look at any given set of facts in a litigation or a contract and say, what could go wrong? And in this particular case, Paramount decides in the early to mid-1980s that they want to make a movie about fighter pilots. And perhaps one of their studio executives or someone else reads this story and says, I want it to feel like this. And so the lawyers spring into action, apparently actually licensing this story, even though the credit they intend to put in the movie isn't based on, isn't otherwise licensed from, it's suggested by. Which means Paramount wants to hang its hat on the notion that this is related to that thing, but maybe it's not entirely copyrightable because it's a description of facts in the real world, et cetera, et cetera. All sorts of things that lawyers could come up with if they were pressed to do so, but that Paramount got out in front of with their lawyers in the 1980s saying, hey, how much could this person possibly want for this? We don't even know if Top Gun is going to be a success, so we'll offer some amount of money to license it just to be sure, and then we'll put a credit in the movie. But that gave this particular author's children some notions when 2022 rolls around and Top Gun Maverick turns out to be a wild, wild market success. On January 23rd, 2018, the Yones properly availed themselves of their right to recover the copyright to the story under the Copyright Act 17 U.S.C. 203A by sending Paramount a statutory notice of termination and thereafter filing it with the Copyright Office effective January 21st, 2020. Now, if that sentence didn't make any sense to you, you're probably not alone. We actually have to dive into the Copyright Act a little bit to explain this section and why it's probably going to come up more and more often in the years to come. So first, we start with foundational principles. We've done this before. 17 U.S.C. 106 gives the author of a work unilateral rights over a whole bunch of things associated with that work. You write that story, you get the exclusive right in the United States to reproduce it, to distribute it, to perform it, to display it, and most importantly for our purposes here, to prepare a derivative work based upon it. So you've got this story called Top Guns. It's about this naval base, I believe in California, where Top Gun the movie takes place. And then Paramount says, that's fantastic. We want to license that from you so that we can create a movie with this premise. Now, is their movie technically a derivative work of that story? You can get into a whole bunch of fights over that. Paramount didn't want to get into those fights. They wanted to nip them in the bud, so they licensed it from this particular author. Which leads us to the quandary of the day. 17 U.S.C. 203, termination of transfers and licenses granted by the author. Now this, if you're not familiar with it at all, is going to sound a little odd. In the case of any work other than a work made for hire, and for this purpose, I think it's important enough to note that this is definitely not a work made for hire. This was an author writing a magazine article. Could have possibly been a work made for hire for that magazine. I don't believe it was. I believe it was freelanced. And so he individually licensed it to Paramount. But Paramount never paid him to write that article. It was made for a different purpose, for an entirely different entity or group of people. 
So other than a work made for hire, the exclusive or non-exclusive grant of a transfer or license of copyright or any right under a copyright, including the right to make derivative works, executed by an author on or after January 1st, 1978, otherwise than by will, is subject to termination under the following conditions. And we're going to talk about those conditions in just a second, but this is an important piece of the law. The Copyright Act actually says, no matter what you have written in a license or assignment of copyright, with some exceptions for things like work made for hire, can be rescinded, no matter what it says. So I grant this copyright forever and ever, amen, I shall never have it back, or you can take my firstborn, all this crap that you could put into a contract. The Copyright Act itself, the law of the land on this topic, says, no, 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 void all that contract stuff, even if you signed this agreement back in the 1980s. And the 1980s are important to this because we will see the following conditions consist of timing windows. So we have a couple of things to get out of the way first. In the case of a grant executed by one author, termination of the grant may be affected by that author. So if the author of Top Guns, the magazine article, were still with us, they could exercise this right. It is implied, at least by what has been filed, that that is not in fact the case. And so where an author is dead, his or her termination interest is owned and may be exercised by the widow or widower, which doesn't appear in this particular complaint, so that might not be an issue, or the author's surviving children. And then there's some math that goes along with that. But suffice it to say, the Copyright Act comes in and says, this is effectively a right, a personal property right, that can transition over uh, to your wife or to your husband or to your kids when you pass. And what does it give them the right to do? They can terminate the grant no matter what your contract says, as long as it's affected at any time during a period of five years, beginning at the end of 35 years from the date of execution of the grant. And we'll talk about this in just a second, but suffice to say, you take when the grant was made, you count up 35 years, and then between 35 and 40 years in that window, the right can be terminated, but there's other timing components, the most important of which is you have to give the party that holds the right at least two years notice. This statutory code continues with a little bit of extra detail, or if the grant covers the right of publication of the work, so if it was republishing this particular magazine article, the period begins at the end of 35 years from the date of publication or at the end of 40 years from the date of execution of the grant, whichever term ends earlier if you were trying to hold it in your back pocket. None of that matters for our purposes because this was a grant separate from the publishing of the original work to make derivative works like movies featuring Tom Cruise. And so we count up 35 years, which I will tell you, spoiler alert, we'll see in the complaint, but the 35 year mark starts in 2018 and would go to 2023 give or take. The notice shall state the effective date of the termination, which shall fall within that five-year period, and the notice shall be served not less than two or more than 10 years before that date. So you can't try to get out in front of it and, and assign it and then immediately say this is going to be rescinded in 35 years. You can't do that. It has to be within a two to 10-year window before a 35 to 40-year window and this is what copyright lawyers get paid for, is trying to hit these things and make sure that they comply with the rules. Termination of the grant may be affected, notwithstanding any agreement to the contrary, including an agreement to make a will or to make any future grant. Ordinarily, contracts are pretty sacrosanct in the United States. You enter into a contract, this is a perpetual copyright, and we don't have to think about it ever again. The Copyright Act is one of those primary exceptions that has baked within it this 35-year kill switch. Now, it's important to note 
that there are a couple of exceptions to this, right? Because when you lose the right to make a, a derivative work or to publicly display something, you might ask yourself, well, if they take the right away, can Paramount still release and otherwise distribute or make money off of Top Gun from 1986? And Congress put forth in the Copyright Act, yes, yes, they can do that. A derivative work prepared under authority of the grant before its termination may continue to be utilized under the terms of the grant after its termination, but this privilege does not extend to the preparation after the termination of other derivative works based upon the copyrighted work covered by the terminated grant. Lawyers, am I right? But what this basically says is, yes, you can still have your Top Gun. Everything that you made while this thing was live doesn't go away just because we terminated it in this statutory fashion. So it's kind of an unusual termination. It's like that window of time survives, but that's going to be important for this story because of the pandemic and because of when Paramount made this movie. So get excited about that. The other aspect of that is that a further grant or agreement to make a further grant of any right covered by a terminated grant is valid only if it's made after the effective date of the termination. So just because they've announced that it's going to be terminated, it doesn't mean that they can otherwise uh, have a different license that they enter into. But there's an exception to even that, which says effectively, once Paramount gets that letter that they're going to lose their rights in two years, they themselves can enter into a new license with these people that are claiming to have the right to terminate the copyright. And Congress, as it says in this complaint that we will see, expected them to do so. So that's all of the magic language here, the important part is 35 years after you grant it, as long as it wasn't made for an employer, you can basically terminate a perpetual copyright in the United States. And that's going to surprise some folks moving forward. On January 21st, 2020, 24th, the copyright to the story thus reverted to the Yones under the Copyright Act, but Paramount deliberately ignored this, says the complaint, thumbing its nose at the statute. This case arises out of Paramount's conscious failure to reacquire the requisite film and ancillary rights to the Yone's copyrighted story prior to the completion and release of their derivative 2022 sequel. And again, that's derivative from the story. It's not just generally a commentary on whether Tom Cruise is any good in this new movie. But they say, and they posit a reasonable course of events here. We sent in a notice. We terminated it on January of 2020. Lo, it is May and June of 2022. What is Paramount doing? In fact, they accuse them of engaging in willful misconduct here. Now, the parties in the jurisdiction, not terribly exciting. And then you'll get a summary of what we just talked about. The U.S. Copyright Act provides an author with the inalienable right to recapture the copyright to the author's creative material after a lengthy waiting period by statutorily terminating without cause prior transfers of such copyright. We can just end this thing at the 35-year mark. Termination is carried out by simply serving advance notice of termination on the original grantee or its successors and filing the notice with the U.S. Copyright Office within delineated time windows. The termination right is the most important authorial right provided by the Copyright Act, short of copyright itself. I don't know about that, but it certainly is important and worth noting. For instance, termination of the prior copyright grant may be affected notwithstanding any agreement to the contrary. Congress anticipated that an author's exercise of his or her termination right would usually result in a new license by the author to the terminated grantee, such as Paramount. To that end, Congress provided the original grantee with the exclusive opportunity to relicense an author's recaptured copyright after the notice or termination has been served, but before the effective date of the termination. You get a right of first refusal, first bite at the apple within that window. If you're Paramount, of course, there's no obligation of good faith negotiations or anything like that. So it isn't exactly as described in this complaint. 
Under the termination provisions, prior derivative works can continue to be distributed just as before. Thus, the Yone's recovery of the U.S. copyright to the story does not prevent Paramount or its licensees from continuing to exploit prior derivative works, including the 1986 film. It just requires a new license for sequel films and other derivative works completed after the January 21st, 2020 termination date. Now, let's talk about that word completed, right? Because they're going to emphasize that Top Gun Maverick was not completed when the rights to their intellectual property was otherwise ended. But things get weird, right? When you look at the actual exception, it states that a derivative work prepared under authority of the grant before its termination may continue to be utilized under the terms of the grant after its termination, but you cannot prepare things after the terminated grant. So we are going to get ourselves into quite the sticky wicket here when we look at how Top Gun was actually created, right? Even if we grant the complainants their position here, and it seems like a solid one, that they turned in some documentation and that they terminated under this act uh, provision in 2020, we've still got the problem, if we look at the Wikipedia entry for Top Gun Maverick, that Top Gun Maverick's been being made for a long time. In June 2017, well within the window where Paramount held the rights, Kozinski was hired and wrote a new draft of the script. Principal photography took place from May 2018 to April 2019. So most of the movie is in the can in some form or fashion, at least as filmed in April of 2019. Now, obviously, there's a ton of stuff that goes into this. Post effects, editing, musical score, a whole lot of things that aren't done when principal photography ends. Its release, initially scheduled for July 12th, 2019, was then delayed, first by efforts to shoot several complex action sequences, and then by the COVID pandemic and scheduling conflicts. So we could get into an entire discovery fight about what this movie looked like and when, right? Screen Rant, for instance, says, okay, it was originally coming out July 12th, 2019. Then it was delayed to do more refined aerial action sequences. Then it was going to be released in June of 2020, indicating that it would be substantially complete at some point before that in time, one would hope, and then it gets bumped for pandemic reasons. Now, in my opinion, most of these movies are substantially complete that got bumped for pandemic reasons because the movie studios didn't want to release them into empty theaters, didn't want to minimize the profits that they could otherwise make, that they had already spent money on creating and waited for a window that they thought they could make a good box office. And certainly Top Gun Maverick has done that. But there becomes all these copyright questions, right? Because let's posit, for instance, that Top Gun Maverick is basically done and set on a shelf somewhere. It isn't the act of publishing that makes your work legitimate. Once you've created it, once you've put it on film or disc or whatever it is that you do with a modern motion picture at this point in time, you have that derivative work. It's been created. You have the copyright. And if you have the proper license, there isn't an issue with it. So one of the things we would expect to see, and in fact, we will see, is Paramount arguing this thing was done. Even if we grant all of your complaints, by the time January 2020 rolls around, it's done or mostly done. And that's where some fighting comes into play even more. So let's continue with the complaint. In addition, because the Copyright Act has no extraterritorial application, foreign rights to the story remain with Paramount, such that notwithstanding the Yone's termination notice, Paramount would always continue to benefit from Top Gun. This is just a U.S. issue, Your Honor. So that's important to note when we look at this as well. Now we get some gilding the lily of how important this story is, and I think it's interesting, so we'll go over it, uh, but it's effectively trying to say 
that Paramount's movie is based on the story because that's an important part as well. Paramount has a number of angles of attack here. One, the movie's done, and so we don't need to worry about it. Two, we were really just being nice, and we didn't need to license your father's story in order to make this movie. So this is the portion of the complaint that says, yes, you did. Ehud Yone's story was originally published on April 21st, 1983 in the May 1983 issue of California Magazine. The magazine was not well known, and the subject of the story, a naval training base, was rather dry. In contrast, however, the author's copyrighted story was written in a remarkably vivid and cinematic fashion, with references to Hollywood stars and epic films, such as From Here to Eternity. Rather than focusing merely on the dry historical details of the training school, the story focuses on the pilots, the top guns, and their personal experiences singling out two in particular, a hotshot pilot, Yogi, and his radio intercept officer, or RIO, Possum, as they are hammered into a team. It skillfully selects accounts of the pilot's personal lives and precise details of their hops, flight maneuvers, to construct a romanticized first-hand experience of what it is like to be a member of an elite Navy fighter squadron. Indeed, the literary and cinematic way the story humanized and energized its subject was so compelling that Paramount immediately sought to lock up exclusive film rights from its author. And while that may be the case, it may also be lawyers just getting out in front of potential legal issues, or so they thought. The resulting films, which faithfully translate this vision and narrative to the screen, have given audiences worldwide a close-up look at the lives of U.S. Navy fighter pilots as curated by Ehud Yone's compelling story. Within weeks of the story's publication, Paramount secured from Ehud Yone an exclusive assignment of rights dated May 18, 1983, of motion picture and allied rights in the story. So this is a standard kind of copyright license notion, the kind you might have seen Richard Marks talk about if you watched Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard, and you see here exactly what you would expect from risk-averse lawyers operating for a movie studio. We like that story. We think we could use it if we can get it for a good rate. Yes, let's sign up the exclusive rights and the derivative work rights because we don't even know if we're going to make something with it. That's May of 1983, which puts our 35-year window opening in 2018 and closing in 2023. And remember, they have to give two years notice on that. There is no doubt that the copyrighted story was the clear genesis of Paramount's 1986 mega hit film Top Gun. But for the author's literary efforts and evocative prose and narrative, Paramount's beloved film franchise would not exist. Don't know about that, but certainly if it was based on that story, it is still worth going and getting your royalties or whatever else you're owed from Paramount. On January 23rd, 2018, the Yones properly availed themselves of their termination rights under the Copyright Act by sending Paramount a statutory notice of termination, terminating the grant of the author's rights under U.S. copyright in the story, effective January 21st, 2020. Now, interestingly here, they send this notice at the top of the 35-year window, and they could have done it a little bit earlier to hit the 35-year window exactly. So one does wonder whether or not the history here, where Paramount starts building this movie in earnest, affected the Yone's decision to terminate the rights at that point, and then it became a race to actually finishing the derivative work, at least if Paramount didn't want to enter into a deal. So the Yone's trying to leverage Paramount into a new deal. You see that from references here made in the complaint. Now with a big time motion picture out there, they are seeking an injunction, spoiler alert again, to potentially force Paramount to pull the movie at a high point in leverage where they can say, hey, you don't have to pull the movie, you just have to agree to a license with us. Doesn't make them wrong, does at least make them a little bit ruthless. So we'll have to see as we follow this story whether or not they succeed. Therefore, as of January 21st, 24th, 2020, the Yones are the sole owners of the U.S. copyright in the story. 
Then they want to make the case that Top Gun Maverick is also based on the story. I say this is a fait accompli. This is a done deal if Top Gun is found to be based on the story in 1986, because this movie is clearly based on that movie. Uh, And so as long as that original movie is based on the story, then they don't have a problem here. Ehud Yone's story told the story of the Navy Fighter Weapons School training program as personified by the author through the eyes of two lieutenants in the course, the hotshot pilot and his friend, and second in the two-man cockpit. In the story, the author brought to life what could have easily been a barren subject of facts and figures by painting the Naval Air Station as a place of death-defying competition, camaraderie, romanticism, and 1950s post-war nostalgia. It naturally follows that the 2022 sequel to the 1986 film, again produced by Jerry Bruckheimer and on which Cash and Epps again received writing credit, is derived from Ehud Yone's story. And like I said, if he gets the earlier complaint right and 1986 is based on that, then there's really no question that 2022 is as well. Despite the 2022 sequel clearly having derived from the story, Paramount consciously failed to secure a new license of film and ancillary rights in the copyrighted story following the Yone's recovery of their U.S. copyright on January 24th, 2020. Plaintiffs are informed and believe and based thereon allege that the 2022 sequel was not completed until May 8th, 2021. Now that's interesting. We don't see that date replicated anywhere else that I could find, but there might be an article that otherwise refers to that. I could only research so much before putting together this video. And if there is, that would be interesting in and of itself because all sorts of questions are raised in copyright on that. Let's say that they're right and it's not completed until May 8th, 2021. Certainly a lot of it was completed when January 24th, 2020 rolls around. So can you split this particular baby? Can the copyright office or this particular judge otherwise say, okay, well, you had the rights up until January 21st, 2020. What did Top Gun Maverick look like at that point in time? Because there's realistically no question that Paramount had the rights to make that derivative work through that date. And then was it close to being finished at that point in time, which we'll see as Paramount's primary argument. We'll talk about that in just a second. Where are you getting this date, complainants? And why do you think that that's fundamentally important to when this movie was otherwise completed? Plaintiffs are informed and believe and based thereon allege that Paramount was and is involved in the financing, production, and distribution of the sequel. Sure. And without a newly secured license, Paramount's exploitation of the sequel in the United States constitutes ongoing intentional infringement. Paramount was placed on clear notice of these issues on January 23rd, 2018, when the Yones served Paramount with their statutory notice of termination, effective two years hence, just like the statute requires. On May 13th, 2022, Paramount responded in total denial of the fact that its 2022 sequel was obviously derivative of the story. So that's their first defense. And we talked about that, right? We see it even in their acknowledgement in 1986, suggested by, not quite based on. And movie studios try to do this kind of stuff all the time. So it's suggested by that story. And Paramount's first argument, and the first argument of any kind of infringement claim is, nah, it's not based on whatever you think it's based on. They additionally argue that the 2022 sequel was quote unquote sufficiently completed by January 24th, 2020 in a disingenuous attempt to bootstrap the 2022 sequel into the prior derivative works exception and termination. Now, this I think is actually the lawyers going a little bit too hard. You have to disarm this argument somehow because we know they're working on it in 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019. And then when January of 2020 rolls around, we know that they've expended a lot of time, material, and effort into making this movie a reality. So when you see this phrase sufficiently completed, 
what it calls to mind in my head is the notion of when you can get paid under a contract. Sufficient completion of a breached contract is a kind of notion that says, okay, so you were contracted to do something important and you got it 98% done. And the other side doesn't want to pay you a dime because it has 2% not compliant with whatever you otherwise agreed to in your contract. But that doesn't look fair to the justice system. They say that's inequitable. So we have this notion that if a contract is sufficiently or substantially completed, then you can still get paid, but they can reduce whatever their damages are that they would otherwise lose because it isn't completed to their satisfaction. It isn't completed to what you agreed to. So if you agree to build out a house and you forget the sconces, you still get paid for the house but less the amount it costs to otherwise replace the sconces. And that's a very simplified version. If there's lawyers watching, they're going to have 16 different exceptions to that. But the notion is this phrase is your honor. We shouldn't get burned for spending four years working on this thing and spending huge amounts of money now that it's popular because they say that it didn't meet some kind of nebulous qualification for when it was completed because we were operating within our license when we started this project and arguably when we finished it, at least substantially, and the law shouldn't be used for this purpose, even though letter of the law might suggest that they have a point. So that'll be an interesting question. If this does go into kind of a discovery type situation, and certainly there's enough here that I wouldn't kick it out of court were I sitting as the judge in this particular case. If it did get to that, All of this stuff comes up. What is the timeline? When is it finished? All this fun kind of concepting out about how a major motion picture is made and what it means to be substantially completed could come up. But realistically, this lawsuit is put forth by these individuals to try to get Paramount to the negotiating table to give them some portion of this huge payday that Paramount has now realized. Now, count one in this is exactly as you would expect. As of January 24th, the Yones own all rights to the copyright and the Yones contend that Paramount denies that the 22 sequel does not qualify for the prior derivative works exception under the Copyright Act because it was not completed. And they contend that, and Paramount denies that the 2022 sequel like the 1986 is derived from the author's story. And they further desire a judicial determination that Paramount does not have any rights to make, exploit, or distribute Top Gun Maverick or any other derivative work in the United States. Similarly, a raw infringement claim by its exploitation and release of Top Gun Maverick, Paramount knowingly and willfully infringed and will continue to infringe on their copyright. And so we ask the court for a preliminary injunction, among other things. What do we want? We want a declaration that the 2022 sequel is based on our father's story. We want a declaration that they don't have the rights to make, produce, or otherwise distribute Top Gun Maverick. We want an injunction against them producing or distributing it. And we want it now. (laughs) We want a preliminary injunction during the pendency of the action, effectively asking for an injunction right this very moment to prevent Paramount from actually distributing this movie because of the willful and malicious infringement that they have engaged in pretty crazy story for a movie that's currently got half a billion dollars in global worldwide box office, right? So I wanted to bring it to your attention because it's wild, because I don't think a lot of people are actually familiar with section 203 of the Copyright Act. And I think it's going to come up more and more. You see, we're now in like the 1983, 1985 range. As that rolls forward, there will be more people that otherwise license their copyrights that can pull them back from these studios that these studios will at bare minimum have to negotiate with. 
And that's going to be worth following. Now, what do you think of this particular case? Do you think Paramount has the right of it? That they invested in this movie for years before this even came up and they held it at least mostly on the shelf and they shouldn't be punished for that, for investing resources in it? Or do you side with the kids of the author here who say, look, that's not our fault that you decided to hold it back, that you decided to spend more years on it. You could have released this thing in a window where you had the rights. You decided not to. And sorry, you lose. The Copyright Act is very clear on this. I'd be very interested in hearing your thoughts in the comments. Now, as I said before, this channel is supported by viewers and listeners like you. Please do check out our Utreon, our Patreon, our YouTube membership. And thanks again for Nord. Uh, special thanks for supporting this channel for many, many, many months at this point. I very much appreciate it. And if you're not interested in any of those tiers or anything else, just subscribing, telling your friends, upvoting, downvoting, leaving those comments like I talked about. Every little bit helps notice YouTube that we are having these conversations. If you did watch it on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.